Hey everyone, happy new year, happy 2023. It's DF Direct weekly number 93 and we're back. Um, uh, it's CES week, there's lots to discuss, lots of announcements, not a huge amount of uh, detail, but hopefully we can supply some context to some of it. And obviously there's the big NVIDIA announcements to, to wade through, including the controversial 4070 Ti. And joining me to discuss it all, first of all, Alex Battaglia. Yes, I'm rested. I'm recharged. I'm no longer a broken man as I was at the end of 2022. Good times <laughs> ahead. Cheerio. Let's go. Fully replenished Fully for 2023. Batteries charged. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yes, John Linneman. Hello. Hey, you say that, Alex, but when does the first Unreal Engine 4 PC game come out this <laughs> like, year? It's probably like tomorrow, <laughs> for all I know. Yeah, well, Everything's so you're, you're, yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, Alex, I uh, played uh, Bright Memory Infinite uh, on, on, over the holiday, and there was no stutter in it. That, that, you know, I think that developer, though, just knows their stuff in general, considering <laughs> the tech stuff. Yeah, I haven't yet to play that. John, doesn't it actually have stutter? It, it doesn't, right? It originally had a little bit, but it was better than most. And I guess they've probably improved it since because they keep adding features to it. So that's great. Absolutely. Um, let's go straight on to the first news topic. So, yes, it is CES week and uh, we're going to be talking uh, about three major presentations. And the first one was Sony's, which was, uh, I think we, it's fair to say it was somewhat corporate in nature. Uh, trailers leading up to the announcement were suggesting that it would go heavy on PlayStation VR 2. Uh, it, it was in there, but there wasn't exactly <laughs> much, much, much to discuss. John, you're hugely excited for PlayStation VR 2. We're hoping, well, you're going to be doing the hardware review for Digital Foundry. Um, mm -hmm. What did you take away from this? Well, I mean, obviously the first thing is that they officially confirmed uh, Gran Turismo 7 getting support for it. And based on the footage they showed, uh, it seemed to be an actual proper full race, which right. suggests that it'll be, you know, Gran Turismo 7 proper, hmm. hopefully. Because so GT Sport had PSVR support, but it was this super ultra limited mode with basically is essentially just like a test. Like here you can kind of drive around you can't really do that much but it's this is what it would look like if you're playing the game in vr whereas this looks like proper gran turismo so that's pretty exciting but given the specs of the psvr headset i'm real psvr 2 headset i'm actually very curious to see what sacrifices they have to make to get to 90 or 120 frames per second whichever they're targeting mm -hmm. uh unless unless they do the uh Async time warp. Asynchronous time warp at 60 hertz up to 120, which I guess hopefully not, but we'll see. Uh, but I mean, so the big thing for me actually comes not just from their presentation, but from reading additional impressions of the headset where even skeptical people were coming away kind of with the impression of like, hey, this is possibly one of, if not the best headsets in terms of technology currently that they've tested. Uh, and so I'm very, very interested to see how that actually plays out for myself, mm -hmm. which I have not yet. So yeah. again, the hardware seems very exciting. The The questions remain though, the software. I mean, yes, we're getting Fantavision at launch, which I'm very happy about. Me too. Wow. Uh, I, I secretly like Fantavision and I think a, a lot of that DNA went into creating a Flipnik Ultimate Pinball, uh, same development group, I believe. Both are amazing on PS2, so Fantavision. Good, good demonstration. I'm happy that they're still using an OLED panel in this, which we've known about, but it sounds like it really produces like a super clean, yeah. vibrant 
uh, intense image. So yeah, for HDR uh, supported as well, which is fantastic. Which yeah, that's something I've not seen in uh, VR as well. So um, and I think you don't need to get like the extreme bright levels for highlights that you might on a TV to be effective in a VR environment because you're essentially covering your entire face, right? So it's just that dy- the uh, the dynamic sort of. I guess the contrast level between it, right? You have super dark areas of the screen contrasted against super bright highlights when encapsulated inside this headset, it should look really, really cool. Yeah. I think they also announced beat savers getting a port, which I know people love that. So whatever, that's something, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of the state. What we gathered from PSVR still looks great. It's really just going to be down to the software and, Sony better step up. They need to roll up to Valve's offices and say, "Hey, we'll we'll port Half Life Alex for you. Uh, here's a truckload of money. Just you know, let us let's let's put this on PlayStation. People yeah. need that." Game and then and then Gabe says, "Can I put Steam on PlayStation Five? And then they say, "No." <laughs> yeah, I don't think yeah. Jim Ryan's going to play that game. Yeah, no, unfortunately. Yeah. I I am slightly curious though that uh, we're you know effectively a month away from launch and uh, we still haven't seen anything. There's been no real marketing of the device, um, no real press. There's been one or two press opportunities, but they were sparing. Uh, We still don't really know anything about it. And uh, that's quite unprecedented, I think. You know, back in the day when uh, PSVR 1 came out, they had like um, press events where you could roll up, you could play it, you could get a really good impression of the experience. We're going into this knowing nothing, which on the one hand is kind of weird in terms of marketing. You'd, you'd want to market this device, right? But on the other hand, it's quite exciting. You know, if it is the case that the first time we go hands on with it is literally when a review unit turns up, that's kind of unprecedented yeah. in its own way and quite exciting. It kind of feels like the current state of Sony, though. Like Sony under Jim Ryan has been this very secretive, kind of quiet <laughs> company. Uh, they market very specific things, but everything feels kind of like hidden behind the curtain. You know what I mean? Like right. it's uh, it's definitely a shift from where Sony was during the early PS4 era. And I suspect that plays a role in it because fundamentally the problem here is that it seems like the technology is a huge upgrade, but you wouldn't know it. Like the average consumer that is interested in VR probably doesn't, have any idea of what the benefits of this headset are over say like a quest Two, right mm. well why would i get a wired headset that only works on a playstation uh people have kind of forgotten what high fidelity vr can be because i mean the pc market is kind of stagnated on that front well i mean there's not really there's high-end ones but they're just they're really uh, ultra the problem expensive, is the soft right they're ultra expensive but the software most of the vr games coming out seem to start life on like quest or mobile platforms and half-life alex feels like one of the last pc vr games that really pushed technology to release like there's just not that much in the pc vr space that's pushing high-end tech and that's why i hope psvr 2 actually succeeds because that should also bring higher end games over to the pc as well you would imagine 
uh, if developers are targeting higher specs again, rather than like aiming for the little SOC on the Quest 2. Yeah, let's hope it is that way and there isn't any just like weird exclusive things like Resident Evil 7 VR and things like that, that which oh, that were was, not very yeah. cool, obviously, back that in the day. That sucked. That was really annoying. I, I don't know why they did that. Yeah. I mean, of course we know why they did that, but <laughs> still. Yeah, I, I guess I, it's not good. I, I was, this presentation was kind of, like Rich said, it was super corp. It was actually almost impossible to watch. Um, but the the split second we did see there GT7 looked interesting and like John I'm super curious about what kind of sacrifices need to be made because I think what John did his thing uh, your video back there on GT7 it could even drop frames right uh, yeah yeah if you had a full grid of cars yeah. in the rain and that's one that's uh, and that's one rendering angle from one resolution and you know this exactly. is like this is like a lot more res usually and a lot more um, so, draw so. GT7 did see. not use dynamic resolution scaling, if you recall. It was just straight native 4K all the time. I feel like they're going to need to tackle that, maybe foveated rendering, more of a dynamic resolution. They're going to have to do something there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. curious about what that means. And yeah, uh, excited to see what John puts out about this. Yeah, they're going to oh. be doubling up on geometry as well mm-hmm. for the 3D. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, so, it's it's not insignificant what they're being what's being demanded of the hardware here. It's still uh, obviously unconfirmed that anything's going to happen here, but I have faith in the PC community. But remember, PSVR two is a USB C device, right? It doesn't have that proprietary plug of PSVR one. Uh, so I have some hope that somebody will figure out a way to get this headset working on the PC with Steam VR. Because frankly, the technology seems awesome, and it would make an awesome P- a PC headset as well, right? And yeah, mm-hmm. it sucks having a bunch of headsets at your house. Like nobody wants that, right? So if the, <laughs> it would be great to have this thing work in both places. Mm-hmm. So crossing fingers for that. Yeah, it's a USB C device, but obviously they c- could use a proprietary protocol. <sighs> Which would also don't, be awful. Don't, cr- don't crush my dreams, Rich. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a very, very strange presentation. I loved the main speaker's suit. Oh, uh, it's canon. Oh, it's all about the suits. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. gives me nostalgia for the old PS3 conferences. Absolutely, yeah. You know? <laughs> not not quite as uh, flowing and loose as the mid-2000s were, you know? But still, mm, that pattern. Better fitting, for Fantastic. sure. <laughs> uh, but yes, it, there wasn't a huge amount of, of interest in that conference. Otherwise, obviously, we saw the Gran Turismo movie for the first time where they seem to be trying to make it look like the game, which is quite quite interesting. Um, we did like get the, the chase cam. The chase cam. Yeah, did you uh-huh. see that? That was insane. They actually mounted cameras to cars to specifically get that rigid chase cam of Gran Turismo. <laughs> Which <laughs> I debatable whether or not that's aesthetically pleasing, but I, it, I mean, it's sure. funny. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love that they're doing it. That's that's really great. Yeah. And uh, there was the announcement of the Project Leonardo accessibility controller, which mm. um, looks like a really interesting design and uh, seems to be following in the footsteps of the accessibility controller for Xbox, where you have those little orgs. Um, inputs, which enables you to effectively customize it to the needs of the individual. Um, There's just been a huge drive for accessibility in PlayStation games and now hardware, which is kind of like the last piece of the puzzle. So that was really pleasing to see. But I think um, (laughs) that that kind of summed up a lot of the the content uh, where they announced something and then they said, oh yeah, we're going to share more details later. Yeah, and um, you know there wasn't a huge amount of detail. And then they 
rolled out their uh, electric car concept. The oh, yeah. A Fila electric car, which uh, is a collaboration with Honda. Um, obviously, I, I'm, I'm really into electric cars. I drive one. Uh, I was really interested to see this. First of all, <laughs> the kind of video bar that they've put at the front. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Uh, which it's, it's kind of like... <sighs> what they did show was um, <laughs> basically a huge charge bar on it. So it's like showing 82% charge. I, I could just say that when you're out and about in the real world on a, on a charger, you do not want to be advertising your charge level to other people. Because <laughs> what generally tends to happen is people that are much more uh, sort of, you know, really want to get onto a charger to charge would be saying, hey, you're at 82%. Why don't you just disappear now? I'm only at 2%. I can't continue my journey. <laughs> And it leads to a lot of heated con- confrontations. But the concept of having effectively a, a screen, albeit a thin one, on the front of a vehicle, I f- find that quite intriguing. Um, obviously, there are huge amounts of sensors on there, which uh, is kind of par for the course. Tesla does this already. Um, but I guess the thing which is going to excite the most interest, and again, there's a lot of question marks here, is they're talking about entertainment. And they're actually showing PlayStation 5. They're showing... Um, Horizon Forbidden West in there. And then juxtaposed with that, they then had Qualcomm come on to say that they're doing all of the um, cars, uh, all of the electronics. Yeah, in, that's in wild. The, which d- does not make sense because you're not, you're never going to be hey, running a PlayStation 5 game on a Qualcomm processor. Can you PS4 so stream the, into the car? Streaming. Stream into the car? You, you, It'd be horrible. Yeah. Shoot, I mean, it's you could in theory stream, but you really wouldn't want to because you know basically the quality of your stream will div- will vary dramatically depending on your 4G or 5G uh, connectivity it's really not a great idea but i'm going to be following that one with much interest but uh, fundamentally i think you won't be able to order it until 2024 and you won't be able to own it until 2025 so it's still really early days but yeah i yeah. found that really interesting I, I like what they're doing with that. I actually quite like the the design as well. Uh, it kind of has a roof line similar to the Porsche Taycan, right. uh, which, you know, Porsche, uh, which is cool. I I think electric car designs have come a long way in general. They're getting to be more sleek and normal looking, if you will. Uh, but, I mean, my main concern with electric cars just remains the whole battery situation. I'm just not sure how that's going to shake out long term, but we, you know, we don't need to get into the, that whole thing right now. But <laughs> you're talking about a, distance, uh, or are you talking about disposable? No, no, battery? like, uh, well, disposable, disposing the battery, the materials required to create it, ah, things yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. You know, and like when they when they fail, what happens? Like, uh, you know, I there's situations where like a new car, the battery fails on it, but because of the part shortage, you can't replace it. Oh, so you have to like so you trash the whole car. Then. you're basically not, waiting for well, a battery to become available yeah essentially you do need to have spare parts but the, the batteries are under warranty mm-hmm. this is a whole different that, well, and that's that's yeah that, that's a problem though if, even if it's under warranty if the battery's not available to be replaced then what do you do i think that's a short-term thing to be honest because the, so. sheer, the sheer volume at which they're making these cars now i mean there's more tesla model 3s being sold in the uk than any other tesla model y's even uh, than any other car so it's just it's just a matter of time really um but yeah certainly interesting stuff there um let's move on to the next news topic 
Uh, so another big CES reveal was, uh, well, NVIDIA had a ton of stuff to share. Uh, they showed some game updates. Um, they've updated DLSS 3. They revealed video AI upscaling, which there's a lot to talk about there. RTX 4000 laptops with a full stack ranging from a, a 4090, quote unquote, uh, to 4050. They're updating their cloud service to run with 4080s. And then there's the whole 4070 Ti situation. Um, where should we start? I think, Alex, maybe uh, the sort of some of the game footage that we saw. Yeah. Atomic Heart was looking awesome, right? Yeah, that's one where um, it's been in development for positively ages at this point. It's one of the first RTX demos. You can still download it, I even think, with like DLSS 1, and it's like the beta RT version of Unreal Engine 4. Uh, so this one is going to be an Unreal Engine 4 title, um, pretty high spec, <sighs> uh, pretty high spec in terms of what ray tracing features it uses. I imagine it's using the NVIDIA ray tracing branch uh, based upon some of the shadow stuff I saw there uh, because the original shadows and RT shadows on Unreal Engine 4 are not very good. So yeah, that that's going to be really interesting. It looked slick, um, just like as always worried about that Unreal Engine 4. Uh, John, did you see any of the other games at all, or were you just f focusing on Atomic Heart here? Um, Witchfire still looks pretty good. Yeah, uh, another long in development game, though. Like, my yeah. goodness, yeah. <laughs> the day before, which yeah, I guess that that looks alright. That looked visually pretty good, like when they showed like the environments, but it's just like the yeah, the animation was just like pretty simplistic looking. Um, it, exactly. So it's hard to say what that'll be like, like and i don't know yeah. more zombie stuff and then uh, there was the next what was that game with the knights there was a uh, nexon title it was like medieval um well warhaven yeah warhaven and then it's like you know magic's in there too so it's not real medieval stuff but um it, i guess <laughs> that was another one where we could talk a little bit about dlss3 because i thought the game titles look good that they showed um but you know it's more like we have to see them in our hands uh yeah, DLSS 3 has proven to be very interesting, and it's something I've used now several times in some games, but uh -huh. I don't know. Have you have you found it to be somewhat hit or miss at this point where it is hit or it miss. works really well with some games, and then other games it produces like strange aberrations in terms of frame consistency and like affecting the fluidity in a way that's kind of unpleasant. Yeah. It's... And I don't quite understand what's up with that. Uh, well, behind the scenes, I've asked a bit about this, and apparently frame pacing under Vulkan isn't completely uh, fixed yet on DLSS 3, from what I've heard. Uh, so, like, Vulkan specific titles that we've seen, like Portal, uh, may have issues uh, with it that are probably going to be... Uh... Uh... Sixth in the future, I imagine. Need for Speed Unbound also. Uh, it's not. It's better than Portal, but it's still. There's something weird about the way it presents frames when using DLSS three. Not that I need it anyway, but I did test it and it looks noticeably less smooth. Hmm. I haven't tried it. it oh. Right, but then other titles like Plague Tale and Witcher three with the update are. Yeah, you know, it's game changing. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, and also I tried it um, just the other day in. Um, like this uh Warhammer 40k Dark Tide. And there and there it's really useful actually too, because that game, when you pop up the settings, it actually just get pretty CPU limited, interestingly enough. Um so yeah, it's pretty useful. I don't know. Like I guess DLSS3 is still in that early phase of um needing updates to get it. And like that's why this presentation was interesting because they mentioned two updates to it. Uh one was affecting the frame generation, one affecting the super resolution component. So 
The Fame Generation one, apparently, uh, based on what they showed, uh, they showed footage of Cyberpunk's 2077 Overdrive patch, and they showed that, uh, and the side-by-side -side with the old version of DLSS 3 frame gen and the new one, that the HUD was not getting distorted. Yeah. Uh, which was one of the... It wasn't actually that high on my list of complaints in terms of what is objectively very noticeable all the time, but it is one of the things mm -hmm. that you could notice. And that so that the fact that they're looking to fix it is interesting. I imagine they're masking it somehow the, with more engine yeah. data based on what they said in the presentation. Uh, and then I imagine, though, that they're still going to be interpolating it as a separate layer, though, uh, because if they didn't interpolate it, you'd get this weird scenario where the HUD moving elements of the HUD would move at 60 FPS, but the rest of the game would look like it's moving out like 120, which right. would be probably not very great. Um, so I don't know that there's that. And then they also announced specific updates to DLSS, uh, two or whatever the super resolution phone in, uh, for ultra performance mode where they showed the Witcher and it was like all fizzly in the background and the Witcher three and the old version and the new version wasn't, uh, which is cool for me because after playing portal, I realized like, oh, ultra performance mode, if it does look good in that game, like it does look in portal RTX, it's like really great to use because you're getting a lot of performance there. So being having that be more useful for the future, also for things like Overdrive, Cyberpunk Overdrive, that's pretty great. Um, so I think yeah, it's going to be needed it, for Switch as well. Yes, for Switch too. <laughs> yeah, this feels really important though for those laptops they announced mm -hmm, with good the uh, four thousand series, right? Because I feel like DLSS three could be a huge saver, possibly for battery life, but also just getting more frames out of a portable PC. Yeah. So I, yeah, mm. like 100% there. Like I agree with that. Like I haven't used my, um, a reserve as edge laptop there. The like, art with as like a mobile it's a blade. It's a blade, blade, the edge yeah. blade, whatever. Um, that's a razor blade laptop. It, there's no edge yeah, about it. It's a razor blade. It's a razor blade. Yeah. It's, <laughs> this is very true. Um, I, I found in certain games like dark tide, I actually am uh, CPU bound there and a DLSS three would like it super accelerate the frame rate and something like that. Um, especially with the lower power constraints. Uh, another thing, time. another thing that was uh, revealed that I guess we are kind of curious about is the AI video upscaling that mm. they announced. It is coming to Edge and Chrome, I assume, because Edge is Chromium based these days. Uh, and the footage they showed, I don't know if it was duped at all, but it looked almost too good <laughs> uh, for a um, like I've seen AI upscaling before, and the the side by side comparisons they do did make it look incredibly good. I am curious about what that footage was about. I don't know, Rich, did you think it looked believable? It would have been harder to fake it. Yeah. Well, actually, no, it wouldn't have been if you just had a higher resolution image. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, mm, it's got to deliver, right? That's the thing. But it opens yeah. up a whole range of other questions, uh, which is, you know, simply, A, how does it work? Is there any kind of... Um, accumulation from prior frames uh, i don't see how you could do that there's no you, you can't jitter a video stream can you it has no information on that None. right None. Like, so you know is it a, is it a pure spatial upscaler if so what is the cost on the gpu and if it's low why can't we have it in games yeah, I know, right? That's, that's, Actually, that's yeah, the it question, should be used right? on games that use because video clips. I'll, I'll tell you the first thing I'm going to be doing when, when this thing comes available. You can actually play any MP4 in a browser. You just drag yeah. and drop it into a tab. So I'm just going to be taking some 1080p game footage 
dropping it in there and seeing what the upscaler does to actual game footage. Uh, well, and, and we know more, that's not true. You're and, not, that's not going to be your first video. You're going to put Chad Warden in there first. <laughs> <laughs> and then the game footage. Hey, it de-blocks. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to be uh, checking out for sure to see you know what it does and what the implications are on GPU usage. Hopefully NVIDIA will want to talk to us about this because I'm really excited to see you know, actually what AI upscaling can do on an RTX GPU without mm-hmm. any kind of um, information from the game engine. Yeah, right. So I don't know, maybe it's simply the case that um, non, well, actually, were they showing game footage in that? So they were showing game footage on it, interestingly enough, but it was like 1080p awful YouTube footage is what they were showing. Yeah. Well, I'm actually more curious to see what it does with lower res material, oh. if it can at all. Or what about videos that predate the 60 FPS update in YouTube? Is there going to be frame rate oh, that's uh, an interesting amplification? Because, I mean, TVs basically do that, right, with motion smoothing. Uh-huh. Uh, and it could if they could do something superior to that using these RTX GPUs, it would be useful for some types of content like games, for instance, like imagine what it would do for our old performance analysis that are still sitting on YouTube. The ones that are at 720p super low bit rate, like that would be amazing if it could actually make those look decent again. That'd be nice. Mm -hmm. That would be interesting. Um, What else should we talk about here? Uh, There is the, yeah, the laptops. Yeah, um, obviously we've got a forty ninety and forty eighty, uh, which are at the high end. Uh, it looks like the forty nine. Well, it's the similar situation with the Ampere line, where um, the you know the thirty eighty wasn't a thirty eighty; it was a thirty seventy lower clocked. Similar situation here. I do think they you know they've done nothing to address the whole naming situation. Call it a forty ninety M. You know, at least the at least then you know you're you're putting some you know distance between. Uh, products that have exactly the same name when they're not exactly the same at all. I'm sure they're going to be really good. I'm really curious to see the lower end parts with frame generation. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. It seems to me that from my tests with game generation, the, uh, from frame generation, the actual game changing results are when you're CPU limited. Um, but it might be the case that you know when you're so GPU limited that you're at 40 FPS, it could have another uh, an, another sort of usage there. I do think I, it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. I was kind of fascinated with the fact that one of their bullet points for the flagship series was a uh, 60 FPS surround gaming, and they show like a dude with a racing wheel and three monitors. So yeah, you know, I'm like that. That's that is cool. Uh, and I can see a use case for that. I'm just surprised that that made it into the primary bullet point list, right? Because <laughs> yeah. it's such a it's such a niche thing. Yeah, my gosh, like almost no one advertises surround anymore. Or what is right? what is the name of the AMD equivalent? It's like is it AMD Vision? I can't remember. AMD Vision. I can't AMD remember. AMD Vision. I'm sure, I swear I'm sure it was. There was. I don't know. Uh, was there something to do with Infinity? Infinity in Vision. Infinity. Infinity. I can't remember. It's called Infinity. <laughs> no joke. Okay. I'm not even lying. <laughs> um, oh dear yeah but uh i've up here is i'll like like you are rich um the low end because with the lower end we get a sense of what um or even with the high end here we get a sort of sense of the lower stacked desktop gpus in terms right. of like the scaling mm-hmm. maybe at least on like the uh because i imagine a lot of them are like 128 bit um like uh bus and stuff like that we're gonna see like how does this actually scale to the lower end and then we can maybe extrapolate a bit to the desktop market and see what what we'll be maybe getting there. Uh, I'm excited for these cars. 
Um, the only thing that, like, once again, like Rich is saying, like, I really think they need to get their naming under control because it does, if you read, like, headlines across the web about, like, the RTX 4090 being, like, an amazing GPU, even at its price point, uh, and then you get the 4090 in the laptop and you're, like, re and you're just, like, a casual player and you don't know a lot about these things, you may actually be disappointed. And I think they should just clear that air by, like Rich was saying, putting an M on the product, they, man. They... <laughs> They had this solved, dude. Like back when I got that gaming laptop in like 2005 or whatever, or 2004, it was the Go series. Right? Yeah. The, so it had like a 6800 Go. Go. Uh, <laughs> you just put that on there. You see that. You're like, okay, it's based on this, but it's something different. But right now, it doesn't, the names don't imply that. And it feels kind of, uh, you know, skeezy. Scuzzy, yeah, shady. Yeah. I mean, the thing that yeah. sort of stands out to me, I've seen um, uh, predictions on what the 4090 is going to perform like based on the specs. And, you know, it could come in at 4070 Ti level performance, hmm, uh, which is good. basically, which would be like 3090 in a laptop, which is like mind blowing. <laughs> That's <laughs> actually the, pretty know, crazy. Yeah, that'd be nice. astonishing. <laughs> so, you know, I again, I, I, I really want to see this and to see it in action. But also, um, wasn't it the case, Alex, that the lower end cards have only got six gigs of VRAM? Yeah, the 4050, and I think even maybe the 4060. I have to double check on that. Maybe there should be a link here that says that. Uh, that's, I'm wrong. Maybe. That's disappointing. I mean, we were we were VRAM limited even on the 2060 back in 2018. Yeah, so much so like the first ray tracing title was VRAM limited, and you made a video about how you yeah, turned down settings. Yeah, you had to lower the mm. texture settings to make it run well. Uh, and that's like like. I don't know what it is with NVIDIA, but they're so, quote-unquote, cheap with the VRAM. <laughs> uh, like, my goodness. Like, I think the 4070 Ti, we'll talk about that in a second, but I think 12 yes, gigs right. is, like, we're finally there on the 70-level cards, and I'm finally happy that it's not 8. But it also, like, when you put it next to the Radeon offerings, uh, just like yeah, these. It, it, looks, it, look, it looks a bit threadbare, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. It looks like just like a bare minimum almost of what you mm. could require so yeah maybe we should talk about that <laughs> yeah um there's also the 4080 cloud service yeah. uh and we got this question from andre serles uh geforce now 4080 uh. is 20 dollars a month versus 1200 dollars us to own it that's five years of streaming seemingly a rather good value when you when you add the other pc hardware power costs etc thoughts uh, my thoughts on that are um Obviously, the quality will be lower. Uh, secondly, I think more importantly is the fact that you're going to be limited on the games you can play because you can only play the ones that are approved on on, on uh, GeForce Now, which is a bit of a limiting factor. But I'm certainly excited to to see just how much of a 4080 type experience you're getting for your twenty dollars a month, and hopefully we'll be able to go hands on with it sooner rather than later. I'm not going to dwell on streaming because uh, I don't want to make John angry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> let's let's move on. Um, Forty seventy Ti was announced and launched. It's out now. Obviously, there's a huge amount of uh, uh, contention around this one because there's no um, gen on gen leap similar to what we saw with Ampere, um, which has caused issues. And actually, we're going to kick off with this question from SJ. I'm going to queue up your hijack here for you, Alex. <laughs> Jake. Question, question for SJ33 in brackets, Jake. Hi, Jake. Can we all do Hi, Jake. <laughs> Hello, Jake. <laughs> hey, all, we're seeing an increase in electronics costs across the board due to increased manufacturing costs, at least partially due to transistor costs. 
However, the sheer scale of some price increases cannot be explained by this alone, namely some NVIDIA 40 series cards. 4080 staggering 1199 MSRP is a huge leap from the predecessor 699, while there are different ways to read the 40 Ti, 4070 Ti's positioning. Still represents a new high bar for a 70 tier card, even un after its $100 price cut and costs of rebranding, suggesting NVIDIA have pretty decent margins anyway. Still, still $100 more than the previous 80-tier MSRP, not to mention the fact that the 4070Ti's MSRP doesn't actually exist due to the lack of an FE card, if we're to take these claims of increased manufacturing costs as justify, justification for the price hikes, maybe it would be helpful to see this quantified to better judge if the price increases proportionately reflect this. I think there's a whole bunch of uh, factors we need to, to talk about here. Uh, Alex, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I mean, I put it on Twitter. Um, before we get into any other opinions about this, I had like a single goal regarding these, like the certain amount of power you should get for, for price. And that was based on the last like 20 years of like GPU space, uh, kind of like two years after a console launch, I would always say two years after a console launch, just about two times the performance for almost the, for like just, you know, there's wiggle room there obviously, but like the price of a console, that's what you're paying for your GPU. You've got your, you know, your 8,800 GTs, you've, which is actually a lot more than two times <laughs> of the console. Uh, then you've got, um, you know, your GTX 970s and then the GTX 1060 afterwards, which is like the, the you know, the extension of that. And then this time around, it may be the 4070, uh, but the 4070 Ti, according to Rich, is like in like a good title, uh, one that we could like reproduce and show on the, uh, in the video was like 2.1 times. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And this thing is obviously not the same price as uh, PS5. Uh, so... That's that's where I come across is very disappointed in this uh, the price. Like I would like to see it cheaper uh, because of my totally arbitrary criterion there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, there's obviously a lot more in going into this, Rich. You you could probably talk about that. What we need is totally arbitrary criteria. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, okay. So yeah, my my sort of thoughts on this haven't really changed from the review, and obviously a lot of people are, are, are not happy about that. But you know, I was looking on eBay last night. A, a, a 3080 still goes for six hundred and fifty pounds used, right? So um, going back to Jake's question, there's an, as I said, there's a number of factors here. First of all, does Nvidia have a margin? Yes, of course they do, and it probably is quite significant, right? And it is enough to absorb this potential $100 price cut. Uh, there were MSRP cards at launch there were, uh, in the US and UK. We, we posted some links, to, so you could get one at MSRP. And the EU too, technically, even though the, the MSRP is much higher here uh, as well. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, obviously NVIDIA do have a margin, but they're also... That they're also looking at what people are going to pay for the price of their GPU, right? And in a world where a used 3080 is 650 pounds, you know, obviously there's, and they've got increased costs to, to burden, they're going to look to preserve as much of their margin as possible, and they're going to price according to what people are going to pay for it. Now, in the case of the 4080, they didn't pay for it, right? They didn't, you know, there's, 
it was a, a turkey of a it was just too much <laughs> it was a turkey it wasn't it wasn't you know in terms of price versus performance the the, the launch of the 4070 ti makes the 4070 look even worse right because now you've got a you know you're paying an extra 50 percent over a 4070 ti for an extra like 25 to 30 percent more performance so just the 4080 doesn't make sense against the 4090 doesn't make sense against the 4070 ti so you know it's it's it just doesn't make sense at all 4070 ti kind of makes sense in that if people are buying 3080s and 4090s you've now got a reason to not buy the 3080 because the 4070 ti is better right it's better in every dimension apart from price and for the extra price being asked, you get a, a decent amount of performance. It's quite interesting to see um, that the, you know, the US sites are really angry about this. You look at De Bauer's video, and he, you know, he kind of agreed with me that it's okay performance for the price, but it's not. We aren't seeing this um, this kind of uh, massive increase in performance plus the price cut that we've typically come to expect. And I'm t- struggling to think of other markets huh. where you do still get that i mean cpus possibly but not to anything like the same degree now uh, nobody is um screaming at apple for you know oh you know not reducing the prices of their smartphones yeah I mean, you, even in the console space with those extended release periods the gaps are closing, right? Like the the upgrades gen on gen aren't as impressive as they used to be because that's just the state yeah. of technology, right? Like it's getting harder to innovate in these areas. Yeah, yeah there I- are there are a number of problems with the forty seventy Ti launch, which is that there is no Founders Edition card, and the Founders basically, you know, it's a product you can target, and you know you will pay a set price for it. Some of the prices, I mean, the Gigabyte card that we got. Uh, which was causing the tradest contacts <laughs> um, was, uh, you know, I, I looked on um, uh, a UK site that did actually have a price for it. It was £950. Not that it's Wow. I mean, that's Dude, just nuts. What's up with the coolers, though? Like, that's what that drives me nuts. Like, these gigantic, <laughs> horrible-looking coolers. Like, the why does the 4070 Ti need that? It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it does doesn't. not. Richest thermals it's, were, like, incredible. Uh, like, but like yeah. pointlessly credible. And I, I love the anecdotal comment that when I posted about that uh, on Twitter of the size of these coolers, someone said like, I once had a uh, RTX 3060 where two of the fans stopped working and it still had the same temperature like <laughs> <laughs> on these massive cards. Like they're so over-engineered. Uh, but, I don't like this at I, all. Yeah. And the problem there, Alex, I see is like a lot of these still high-end but slightly lower-end cards are really useful in smaller form PCs that are often hooked up in the living room and things like that, right? And uh, this kind of makes that more difficult to create a sleek, small PC. Yeah. Because they're just getting isn't, out of I control. Did, I didn't see a single dual fan design in the lineup. Maybe <sighs> I just didn't see nah. enough commands. But... Maybe you should test that, Rich. Like, disable two of the fans <laughs> in that Gigabyte card and see what kind of, <laughs> see what the cooling's like. Like, yeah, how cut, cut it in half or something. Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, think, I think there are a couple of other points of contention about the 4070 Ti. Number one, the name, which you picked up on, Alex. And secondly, the, uh, the uh, degree to which it's cut down. 
And if you, you know, the closest silicon equivalent from Ampere would be 40, no, 3060 Ti, you know, similar cuts to interface and CUDA cores and whatnot. What I'm, what I'm kind of curious about is that you've got all of these cutbacks, right? You've got the 192-bit memory bus, which a lot of people are really upset about, and yet it's still delivering 3090 performance, which suggests that, you know, the architecture that they've delivered here is is quite astonishing. Typically, when you go from gen to gen, um, you know, your 384-bit bus drops to a 256-bit bus. But this time they've managed to make it even more constrained and it still works. I suspect that might be the reason why some of the differentials against 3080, 3090, 3090Ti vary. But even so, it's, you know, you are this card that is, you know, the 3060Ti was like a 2080 Super. If that is the closest equivalent, then the, you know, the the uh, the new card, the 4070Ti is, you know, it's up there with 3090, which is quite a remarkable achievement. The naming situation is is really interesting, right? Because a name is a name. What if the 4090 was a Titan? What if the 4080 yeah. was, was the 4090? And you know what if the forty seventy Ti was the forty eighty, which or get... what? What if they brought back increments of five and it was the forty seventy five? Oh God, not that shit. Two eighty five. Yeah, I mean the, the the issue is that you know you can call it a ripoff, but you know I was looking at some tweets online from people who've actually bought the forty seventy Ti. The reason they bought it is because it was the best overall deal in that price range, and it, and it kind it kind of is. You you. That's the kind of reality of the situation here. Um, I think the other thing, of course, is um, this was a, if this was a, a situation where a, uh, where Nvidia were ripping us off, then where was AMD? Right, they had an opportunity here to disrupt by lowering their margins, but they didn't. Now, and why, why yeah. didn't they do this that? Is That's a, a question. This is another a- a- aspect, Rich, where there's just like no um, quote unquote meaningful competition uh in the the gpu space where it can force the nvidia i guess the one forced hand that occurred here on in the nvidia side was a uh, in the in the eu at least um the price there was like price cuts there regarding the 4080 yeah mm. part of that was down to adjustments in um exchange rates so mm. they, they could afford to make a cut. But even, you know, a 50 euro price cut isn't enough. No. I mean, that, 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 <laughs> card is, no. that card is hundreds of dollars, hundreds of pounds too expensive. You know, it's a it's a thousand dollar card at best. Really? And I do. I agree. I agree with you, Alex, that, you know, the case for the 4070 Ti would have been unassailable at 699. Oh, my God. It would have literally flown off the, sh- uh, the shelves. I mean, it would have it would have still been controversial in the fact that we're yeah. paying more for some similar price class, whatever name. But it would have literally been completely uncontroversial uh, at that point in time. I also think that, you know, John, when we went to um, Microsoft they actually sat us down to make the case for the Xbox Series S and why they had to do it. Mm-hmm. And the reason why was economic factors. They couldn't build, um, they couldn't cost reduce Series X, right? To A couple of years down the line, they couldn't cost reduce Series X and make it cheaper. So they couldn't produce what they thought would be an affordable console. So they made one from scratch, which was the Series S. And, um, you know, that's something that's that's got to be factored in. And there's uh, also figures from TSMC showing that the new processor node is like 60% more expensive than the last one. 
So none of this excuses the fact that NVIDIA obviously has a margin, but they're going to be judging their uh, prices by how much they think they can afford to sell them for. The point I'm trying to make is that the market is going to decide the fate of these cards, right? So the 4080, the market is spoken. Then, you know, it's not it's not selling. At some point, the price will adjust. If that is also the case for the 4070 Ti, then we'll see that in due course as well. Yeah, let's hope it, like, mm. it, like, like let's hope that the, at least from the, the outcry about this, that if people are really saying they don't want to buy it, that they actually don't buy it. <laughs> let's just hope that happens then. Because, you know, I would like <laughs> to see the price drop too, honestly. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. John? Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, I was just thinking, like, I feel like AMD really had a chance to strike and, like, disrupt things with the 7900 XT. If that had been priced at, like, say, 699, for instance. Oh, my uh, gosh. Imagine what that would have done for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. That would have been such an absolutely huge product right there. But as it is, the XT is in that kind of boat, like a 4080, where it's like, uh, why would you get that when, like, the, the much superior card is... Actually, I mean, it's a closer in price than, like, say, the 4090, which is a significant jump from the 4080. But still, mm. yeah. that, it's that, that one step down from the top that seems to be really troublesome right now in terms of pricing. Um, another interesting question here from Sibilicious. Uh, Hi, Rich. Thanks for the massive effort on the 4070 Ti video. You didn't mention 4040p results, which I feel this card would be better suited to in terms of its place in the lineup and where the more limited memory bus isn't so much of an issue. For 1440p gaming, does the 4070 Ti solve performance at this resolution in the same way the 4090 does for 4K? This is actually a really interesting question. Um, First of all, the the concept of the limited memory bus... um, the thing is, in my tests, the, the performance differentials between 4070 Ti and 4080 didn't actually seem to shift that much between resolutions. Yes, there were differences, but not game-changing differences in the way that we saw with, say, RDNA 2. Um, but this concept of, you know, how does a 4070 Ti at 1440p compare with a 4090 at 4K is quite Curious, considering the fact that the 4070 Ti is half the price, right? Notionally. Uh, So I did actually run the numbers and uh, I did actually render the graphs and you can see them here. Control rate tracing. So yeah, what we're seeing here is basically a range of GPUs running at 1440p against the 4090 running at 4K. So you can get an idea of, for example, how the 3080 fits in. Uh, Control rate tracing, the 4070 Ti at 1440p is 6% faster than the 4090. Interesting. Uh, Dying Light 2, 13% advantage for the 4070 Ti. F122, no ray tracing, basically the same. Ray tracing, 11% faster. Uh, I mean, I could keep going. Uh, the outlier is Forza Horizon. <laughs> again. Which re- again, yeah. Um, <laughs> it is around 12% faster overall against uh, uh, 4090 at 4K versus 4070 Ti at 1440p. Yes, that game. Yeah. Hitman at 4090. Uh, no RT. 4090 is 3% faster. RT 4070 Ti is 3% faster. I could go on. Spider-Man, 3% faster. Metro Exodus, 8% faster. Uh, Red Dead, the 4090 is a tiny lead, 2% faster. Shadow of the Tomb Raider, 4870 Ti at 1440p is 8% faster than 4090 at 4K. So to answer the question, I I think it's kind of yes. It's a really, really powerful 1440p card. The the thing that I would suggest, though, is that... um, 
$800 for a 1440p card. Yeah, right. Is is <laughs> extremely expensive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if like back in like 2012, if you said like, oh, 1440p, that's like a next generation resolution. I would have been like, yeah, 800, that sounds fine. But nowadays it's like, ooh. It's, it's, yeah, you should be looking at a good 4K experience, which, you know, to be fair is, is what you get. But to be fair is also what you get with a 3080. Unless you're buying that, uh, those new 1440p, 240 hertz OLED monitors. <laughs> in, in which, which case, case, the DLSS3 is pretty helpful, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Whoa. I did actually um, play uh, 4090 on a 4K 240 hertz screen over the holiday. I'll do some content on that, but man, that is really interesting. Oh, that's some, cool. F- some fascinating results there. Um, but anyway, um, anything more to say about 4070 Ti? I think it's in the hands of the market now. And I think what we're seeing, based on what I've uh, been looking at so far, is that um, the MSRP cards disappeared uh, within hours. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the ones that were like $50 more. They they kind of went as well. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, when you're looking at the 900 plus, people aren't interested, and rightfully so, because it's not worth it, you know, at that, at that particular point. Man. May as well look- stick with the 3080. <laughs> Looking at those giant oversized cards with all those fans, <laughs> it, it takes me back to the, do you guys remember the era of like bass boost or like Wooks and you have all these guys making like little stereos, oh. but like they make the most ridiculous looking oversized <laughs> speakers for them yeah. with all these yeah. ports and vents and weird shapes. And it's like, they just make it look extreme and huge and they give it like a weird name for the bass boost. Like I said, Wooks. Stuff like that. That's what these cards remind me of. That era. <laughs> I would think there's there's definitely room in the market for just you know decent, unobtrusive. I mean, we saw it with the Intel Arc Limited Edition. Oh my gosh! That, um, the, the Intel did. They're just really nice looking cards yeah. that look like graphics cards they that are. aren't obscenely um, sized aren't trying to dazzle me with RGB lighting. I would love that. <laughs> I mean, I really think, uh, I, I've always talked about them on the channel before, but I like Noctua stuff a lot. If Noctua actually made like like CPU coolers of that size, oh, I would love I think there have been a couple. I think Asus might have partnered with them. They did. To yeah. use their fans. They yeah. did, yeah. But I think they were a little bit larger, if I recall. But I guess, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> um, like just something compact, because I look at the 3080 Ti FE, it runs a little hot, admittedly. Um, but I think it's just like a really awesome thin card. And the 3070 is just like so small. Um, the original 3070 and 3070 Ti, that is. Yeah, it's the same with like the 2080 Ti, which, you know, which I've got here. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's just... It's it's just a graphics card. It's literally right? a graphics. <laughs> it's, 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 it's absolutely tiny compared to this new uh, gigabyte card that I had with the 4070 Ti. There, holy crap! Oh my goodness! Uh, should we move on? Let's. Yeah. I think we've put the world to rights there. Hopefully, <laughs> probably not, because people are really angry. They hate you, Rich. Uh, which you know, bottom line, don't buy it if you're not angry. If you're angry about it, and that's the that's the way the market will react. Uh, let's move on. Quick discussions, I guess, on the AMD presentations uh, was heavy on silicon reveals. Oh, mm-hmm. um, I guess for the gaming perspective, we saw the arrival of a really interesting new APU, the seventy forty series which looks to take what they're doing with the 6800U and push it to the new levels. Um, eight cores, 16 threads, um, 12 RDNA 3 CUs. Um, but they're also talking about AI acceleration, Alex. And 
I'm still none the wiser about what that actually means. Yeah, I'm also not sure because it wasn't going hand in hand with uh, any sort of other product announcements and or extensions to FSR or anything like that. So it's really, I think at the moment, just like a block on the CPU and we're going to give more details later as to what it actually entails. It is interesting that they announced it as a part of this and not like, I'm curious what the timetables were exactly why it's announced now and not earlier uh, as part of like something they were working on. Kind of came out of left field for me. Uh, Another thing that I was kind of interested uh, from this presentation too is this like mid-range mobile chip that they talked about. Because right. uh, honestly, uh, I think usually the laptop, when people look at gaming laptops, they do actually tend to go for the NVIDIA stuff. That's why when you look at like the Steam hardware survey, um, it is filled with a ton of mobile. Uh, like Yeah, 3060 uh, laptop is in the top 10, I think. Yeah, it's, it's really big. And I would never really recommend a, a laptop to anyone looking to like do dedicated gaming. But if you're looking for it, that's kind of like the place to go. And I'm hoping... Based upon the performance they were mentioned there, um, like this 3060, which is nebulous about which 3060 that is, um, if it is uh, if it is in that realm and it is priced properly uh, and it's tied with uh, like the proper uh, CPU, it could actually be pretty killer in terms of how good it is. Um, I just hope it brings meaningful competition there because we haven't seen them doing too well in the mid-range space of that laptop market so far, and I'd like to see them extend there better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. That 32CU part almost certainly will be in the desktop arena as well, mm-hmm. um, yeah. presumably with more power, higher clocks, etc. Uh, then there was the uh, 3D cache announcements. So you've got um, 8-core, 12-core, 16-core parts, which have got one uh, chiplet with 3D cache. Yeah. It, and, uh, yeah, this, this, is, this has been... It's a thing, and they showed some pretty impressive performance boosts up against the uh, 5800X 3D. Uh, so I'm going to be curious to see how those all pan out. What's curious is that the you know multi-chiplet designs are only having the free cache on one, yeah, on one chiplet. So I, I I generally like the idea of the chiplet design for CPUs if it means cutting costs and things like that. But just from having the 5950X here and the 12900K. I am actually not too fond about the current heterogeneous <laughs> computing thing going on because I don't trust, I honestly don't, I'm sorry, I just don't trust game developers to make sure that their game is uh, like working always well across things that are like heterogeneous or have uh, like performance pitfalls. And so a lot of times a game will launch and it's like, oh God, on a 12900K, like the e-cores make it slower or a game will launch <laughs> And it's like, oh, if I have both CCXs enabled on my Ryzen chip uh, and not in, and I'm not using game mode, uh, I'm getting slower performance. I don't like that at all. Um, and so the idea of the 3D cache being on only one CCX and not being split, uh, I'm a little worried about what that'll mean for like game compatibility and performance for a little bit. But AMD did thankfully um, say that they are working with Microsoft on the schedule, on the Windows thread scheduler to make sure that they identify games and put them on the proper CCX for that game. So CCX, so the ones that are actually uh, getting like benefits from the 3D cache will go on the one with the 3D cache apparently. Once then, this is all theoretical. Uh, we have to test this. But then the other ones that have more, I believe, frequency dependency will go on the other one. 
Uh, so that sounds good. But also, once again, like any of the software solutions to these things, I'm a little bit worried that it'll just like not work in all titles and you'll have to do kind of annoying manual work, which is something that I don't like doing. Like, I don't like having to turn to just get AVX 512 on my 12MDK. I do not like having to turn off the e-course. That's annoying. Yeah. That's annoying. That's annoying. <laughs> like, yeah, why most people do won't do it. Yeah, most people so, don't. You know, so, yeah. The obvious solution is to go for the 7800 X3D, which is only one chiplet. Yeah. And therefore won't be unduly impacted by all of and this it'll, stuff. And it'll probably be cheaper too. So, like, I imagine there's going to be, like the 5800 X3D, there's going to be like a sweet spot chip and it's going to be probably pretty awesome. Yeah, hopefully we'll get to uh, uh, review that. Um, I think that's all we've really got to say about AMD. Any thoughts from you, John? No, no, it's just, you know, good looking stuff all around. But Yeah, a huge yeah. amount of uh, reveals and announcements, which I thought was, was quite exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll stick with AMD, though, because, <laughs> Alex, you wanted, you wanted to talk about the, uh, yeah, yeah. the bun fight. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's... it's you're talking about the XT, XTS, uh, XTX reference design issues with the um, with the hotspots, right? Yeah. So uh, I think it's just the XTX that's most unduly affected because of the power that's going through it. Oh. But yeah, basically, uh, it's that man DeBauer again. Yeah, DeBauer. DeBauer. Yeah, I just want to highlight. Actually, I just want to. So the reason why I want to talk about this is one to talk a little about the quote unquote controversy here. But I also want to highlight the incredibly well made work by DeBauer. He had his German video, had his English video super in-depth i watched the whole thing it was very interesting about basically originally doing a video trying to investigate what was the issue that people were seeing where the hot spot temperature on the gp was hitting 110 degrees celsius and the card was thermal throttling mm. and uh it was happening to a number of people he investigated it couldn't really figure out exactly what the problem was uh and then immediately a couple how long it was later maybe like a week and a half later a week later came out with the second video that was like really in-depth about trying to figure out what was going on and and through a process of elimination which is like mm-hmm. kind of really good investigative work should be done and it just kind of like went through all that eventually finding out i wonder if it was by happenstance or not like the horizontal versus vertical difference like turning mm-hmm. the card while it is running. Well, that was a, that was a fan theory, yeah, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah, that was investigated. Yeah, and uh, it I think worked the, out. <laughs> yeah, I think the other thing which was uh, worthy of, uh, of, of of praise was the fact that he actually sourced multiple samples where he knew that the issue was there. Uh, was... So it wasn't just guesswork. You know, he didn't just go out and buy a bunch of cars, none of which might have had the issue. Um, but the, the, obviously the conclusion is probably the contentious thing, which, you know, he was basically advocating a full product recall, which I don't think AMD are going to do. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I guess the question is the extent to which samples are affected, yeah. which samples are affected and mm-hmm. how many. So the, the Verge has reported on it as well as with, I think it was maybe Hardware Lux. Uh, that they contacted AMD and that they are looking into a partial batch recall. Um, right. So I don't know how many batches of the reference design that includes for this. Uh, and I think people, so like the thing is like another thing that I liked at the end of the Debawa De video is he said uh, like it's kind of not good optics to spend the conference that announced these cards like poking fun at the NVIDIA situation regarding the, <laughs> the power connector, but then have something like this, which is arguably much more common. <laughs> uh, crop up and then you have to deal with the PR around this so 
I would say like in the future, uh, also taking Debauer's words from him here, like, you know, unless you can really ensure that you have like perfect product launch, don't poke fun at the other product launch uh, if you can. Like one, it's like, it's a little bit childish in the first place. And the second part is like, oh, you can't have egg on your face after the fact um, when mm. you don't need to. So that's good. Absolutely. Yeah. There's been a lot of really bad marketing. Um, and NVIDIA, you know, we were talking oh, yes, about my this. God, we, we, about we didn't actually pick up that we point, forgot to talk which about is that. using DLSS3 in your benchmark oh, yeah. to, to compare against prior generations. I think it's a really bad idea. You can just about possibly get away with it by using DLSS2 because it is common to the prior card. Um it would be easier to justify if DLSS3 was the finished article, but it, it isn't. It's a first-gen work in progress, promising, very promising in, in many titles, but it's it's not the slam dunk that DLSS2 was, which took a couple of years to get there, right? Yeah. So, like, for that, um, I think they should have segmented bar charts if they're going to show a bar yeah, chart. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Native, yeah, sure. DLSS2 on top, DLSS3 then above it, and then show it. Yeah. I, like, th what? I think they actually did show that for some of the benchmarks that we saw uh, right at the 4000 series launch. Cause, and, but even then, some of them were a bit odd, like the Plague Tale being twice as fast at a 4090 as it was at a 4080. That was kind of a bit weird. Uh, but generally, I think if, you know, it's it's not good practice to include these things in there on their own. And I certainly don't think you should be trying to market the 4070 Ti as having three times the performance of 3090 Ti in a world where the 4090 doesn't have three times the performance of the 3090 Ti. Um, you know, it just doesn't work. If it was a blanket statement that could be applied with a few caveats to most titles, fair enough, but it's not, right? It's it's not a good way to market your product. Um, I think we've hopefully made the point there. It's, it's, it's not great, as they say. Um, let's round up with our final news topic. John, do you want to take point on this? Basically, LG OLEDs, new generation, higher-end models are now going to be significantly enhanced with a 70% brightness boost. Yeah, I suppose LG and Panasonic has also announced some models there, and they're basically pushing high brightness. Like for LG, it's the G3 model and up that get that upgrade. And they seem to be using micro lens array to pull this off. Uh, in addition to some additional software stuff on their, on the LG side as well to sort of manage this. Uh, and these also have heat sinks installed, I understand. And the combination of all this stuff together is what allows them to essentially boost that brightness up so much. And it's, it's specifically useful for HDR content. Obviously, SDR, you, you know, you can, but you shouldn't be pushing this up as high, that high, right? Uh, and... I assume the 70% brightness boost refers to like a small window test, not a full field of white, but from, so Vincent at HDTV tested a more comprehensive video on this for those interested, do recommend that. Uh, but even with a full field of white, it does seem that it is noticeably brighter than prior generation OLEDs, which that was actually kind of one of the biggest things is the ABL kicking in and uh, you guys know that as OLED users on the desktop, right? Like if you take a notepad document, you max it out, you're going to see a drop in screen brightness, right? Yeah. So this kind of stuff, all of this is just working towards a more, uh, durable, brighter OLED panel. Uh, they're solving a lot of the remaining issues with it and it's slowly becoming just, you know, the dominant sort of panel for 
um, lots of different types of content. I guess the only problem that still remains really, well, besides motion stuff, which could continue to improve, is the subpixel structure, which you guys have also run into, which is kind of like incompatible slightly with the way that Windows and such wants to display itself. Uh-huh. Uh, I, it would be nice to see OLED monitors that work around that. I'm not sure what the current state of that is, but uh, I'll be watching the these micro lens array OLED screens for sure because uh, I'm very interested to see what they do. What what wasn't clear was, uh, you know, I'm always watching out for the black frame insertion LG's OLED Motion Pro to see what the state of that is because last year, famously, they removed the 120 hertz support for it, which was a huge step down, I felt. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm just, if anybody was at CES and checked this, do let us know. I kind of posted it on Twitter as well. I'm just trying to find out has LG kept this feature? Have they brought back the 120 hertz option? Like, what's the state of it in 2023? Uh, I would like to know that because I might upgrade again sometime this year. Maybe we'll see. Uh, uh, there's, yeah. there's a debate on that. Uh, it's, it's not cut and dried, is it? I don't see no. any reason right now to upgrade from my CX. Uh, no, it, 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 I would only do it if. Well, I'm essentially having an issue with my plasma, 15-year-old plasma in the living room, uh, and I might have to finally replace it. But it's been a it's been a workhorse, so I could move the CX there, get a G3 up here. That would be cool. G3s we'll are ex- expensive, though, right? They're, you know, the Bs and the Cs. I know, the, I know. The, the I, usual I need to, screens. Exactly. So not a foregone conclusion. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but what what is disappointing though from CES is that once again, the monitor size and resolution that i prefer uh there's no there's not really any innovation being done in the space i was really hoping we'd see specifically like a 38 inch around oled monitor ultra wide 38 40 by 1600 screen with high refresh uh instead there's been this focus i guess there's plenty of upcoming 27 inch which for my money is tiny now for a monitor uh 1440p displays with OLED panels, which is great. 240 hertz. Right. Yeah. And then you jump up to TV size, like 42 and greater OLED. But that 38 inch ultra wide is just like the perfect sweet spot for me. And LG makes an awesome LCD monitor with that. But uh, even there, they're not expanding the capabilities on the LCD front either. It's just, I I assume it's just not a common spec that people would want to go for, but I feel like if more people use that size, they would really enjoy and appreciate it. Uh Uh, I'm using the the higher refresh model in my room, and uh, I gave my wife the 60 hertz one that I had, which was a 38 inch, 3840 by 1600, and she is not into monitors at all, does not care, but has found that amount of resolution at that size to be extremely useful for just work. Basically you get a lot of pixels, but it's big enough that you can use a hundred percent font scaling all over the place. And it just, it works really well. Uh, so man, they, we're let down again by these monitor manufacturers. And of course, all the monitors in the monitor space, they're always massively overpriced <laughs> versus TVs as well. And it's just, I hate the state of monitors right now. Yeah, they're, they're like, kind of just, are annoying, man. Yeah. There's a lot of issues with them, so it's frustrating. 
Okay, fair enough. Uh, I guess that's an extended news section. Uh, yeah. My goodness. <laughs> wow, that was long. Yeah. So let's uh, let, let's crack on with supporter Q&A. This is the part of the show where uh, supporters submit questions. We pick the best or rather the ones we're best equipped to answer. And um, yeah, we're going to kick off with uh, a quick one here from MG Subby. Is Shader pre-compilation something that modders could add into a game or is this something that exclusively falls on the developer? So, you know, just to stress here, a Shader pre-compilation would eliminate stutters in PC gaming um, by mm. basically making sure they're all cached ahead of time rather than on demand. Alex, could this be done? I don't want to say no, but I'm just going to say it's probably a no because uh, like when you're shipped a game, when you have a game, usually it's like pretty untamperable. Like the, all the assets are packaged up. And if it's in a real game, you can't like just drop it into the editor, the pat like the packaged game files that you have from a game that was shipped over Steam, and do anything with that to start the shader pre-compilation process up, like the entire um, like diagnostic that is running, or what how you call it? It's not diagnostic, I'm afraid. The thing that's running along the side of the game while you're QA testing it to capture the shaders that are being uh, generated, and then make a list of them to be generated at some point in the future. All that is not. Uh, user and adjustable or load, you can't load that up at all so you really couldn't. And maybe if a game for some reason shipped in a state that uh, was like, you could literally drag and drop it into the Unreal Editor maybe this would be possible uh, but really no. Uh, the only thing I've actually kind of <laughs> thought about is whether or not DirectX shader caches uh, which exist in Windows and you can find um, can be shareable at all between hardware on the same driver. I've never tried it, and I've kind of been wanting to just drag and drop uh, a shader cache between one of my PCs, for example, and see what happens using the same GPU on the same driver. Uh, mm -hmm. I've never tried that. Maybe there could be something there. I don't know. But otherwise, no. Yeah, somebody could run a website where they got the yeah, right? compiled shader cache. I've thought just about this. <laughs> download, download the cache for your card yeah. and go... Could be called but then doesn't master. it also vary based on like driver version yeah yeah so it would have to be driver specific so, oh okay this yeah okay and maybe even Fair windows enough. version specific i don't know we'll yeah, see, see yeah. It, it could be yeah that's difficult uh, next question from the aptly named struggling shader <laughs> <laughs> happy new year hey guys happy new year how do you guys feel about path traced classic remakes on consoles from what i've seen from recent hashtag content even 3050 can run portal yeah. and quake rtx thanks to dlss mm -hmm. do you think the console market is ready for 1080p fsr performance at 30 fps and would it even be yeah. possible on series s um here, this I just kind of go back to what Microsoft showed John and mm. uh, Richard back in the day that a path trace, I mean, presuming that was all the same code that was eventually released for Minecraft RTX to a certain degree, they've shown path tracing running at least on the Series X. Um, they did, yeah. And so it's totally doable there in a obviously compromised form in terms of resolution and frame rate, uh, but it's just no one's doing it. Uh, I think, I don't know why, honestly, though. I I don't know. Can you guys think of any reason I, why? I'm 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 also surprised that it hasn't been done. Yeah. I feel like that's actually an area where, if they actually have the hardware for test, I I feel like this is an area where like Night Dive could step in at some point in the future with one of their remasters. Yeah, you know right. What I mean, yeah, like it's it feels like that's the perfect mm. use case is like a classic game coming back well, with those features, but going back to Minecraft, it was stealth released and then unreleased. <laughs> yeah, uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, Do you remember that. 
Yeah, um, Tom Warren at The Verge actually managed to play it. I think there may be some Series S footage on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, it was chugging not badly. It was pretty bad. But it wasn't using, as far as I'm aware, any form of upscaling in there. So um, I think it, when we saw it, Rich, it was just 1080p at flat like on Series a- average X. of 45 frames per second on Series X. But still, yeah, like, it's it very variable. But um, it's pre-release, it's doable, right? But doable. Yeah, it, it, I think it would be doable. I think your FSR experience on Xbox, I mean, some, something like Minecraft would probably work okay and probably Quake as well because um, the, the lower quality DLSS level seems to look really good um, on that. So doable. Um, whether people will want to do it remains to be seen. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Um, <laughs> it's from our old fr- friend, agonizing rectal pain hi brother he's 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 back (laughs) Uh, would you guys have any interest in doing a video diving into ray tracing on the series s sort of uh, appropriate follow-on question to that a number of games metro Fortnite, a bunch of resident evils have shown it's possible with varying degrees of compromise and i feel an all-in-one look at how ray tracing looks and runs on the platform would be interesting hmm I mean, it's, it's it's a pretty good idea, I think. Indeed. Uh, uh, it would be a, a interesting to see stuff like The Matrix Awakens. I mean, we've covered it to a certain extent on a game-by-game basis. Yeah. Like, you know, The Matrix Awakens, for example, it did do all of those things that Series X was doing, but with much lower fidelity and cutbacks and uh, kind of seeing that in Fortnite as well. Yeah, no. I guess, I don't know. There's uh, also like Watchdog Legions, I think, had some pretty okay ray tracing for series s god i can't even yeah. remember i think i covered it did. that i think it did <laughs> yeah yeah uh certainly an interesting content idea and uh, we'll, we'll take it on board uh let's move on to the final question and this one apparently for me from joe tanko question for which back in the day it was just df and another outfit called lens of truth <laughs> do you remember lens of truth of course yes um They've since faded into obscurity and DF has gone from strength to strength. What do you think DF has done right over the years to keep growing? Do you have examples of proud moments where you felt vindicated for certain editorial decisions? Um, I'll quickly answer this, and but I, don't, I do want to open it out to, to my colleagues. Uh, basically, uh, the, the, the issue is, first of all, it's not just about the numbers. Um, you know... It, the classic analogy I've used in previous directs is, you know, if somebody tells me the naught to 60 of my car, it's interesting information, but it's like a a fraction of the whole story. You've got to dig deeper. You've got to do better than just providing raw numbers. And um, I think that's the bottom line. You've actually got to build a rounded picture of the game. And also there's been the concept that platform comparisons aren't really that interesting anymore. So where do you go from there? You know, you've got to actually come up with something a bit more interesting, a bit wider, a bit more all-encompassing, and fundamentally more interesting. Um, John? Yeah, I mean, that is... Telling stories is the key, I think. Like, presenting why. is Why is this game interesting? Whether it's a platform comparison or just a showcase or, you know, discussing its new technology or just you know, gushing about a game that you like, that's all that stuff's important. And I think one of the key factors as well is that you've been very open to basically allowing us to cover the types of things that we want to, right? Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. more traditional outlets in the past were like, oh no, this is, you got to cover 
these games for sure and just like assign games out to people and you know you would get some choice but it was it was a little more strict but here it's like well you know what do you want to cover what is interesting to you and you make a video based usually on that and i think that makes the most enjoyable content because if you're just covering something you don't care about then <laughs> uh it's kind of hard to do something that the audience can get excited about right yeah mm-hmm. fundamentally where, if you're not interested in the in the content why should the audience be right yeah that's where the retro stuff comes in right because like that was uh that was something i wanted to do and it's, it's fun to do and we managed to make it into something that people enjoy fully so, and i enjoy doing it as well so that's great i don't know um, i don't know what do, you, what do you think alex i think that everything you all said and it's just like uh Making sure that DF has people that have like niches in it, like John with retro, me with PC, Rich, oh, yeah, Rich with like overarching in theory hardware videos, you know, like making sure that we get like personality into the channel there where people like when they hear the voice coming up in the video, they have a sense of already what like the objectives of the video are, what like what kind of takes might be in there. So you can get a following at that point in time. If it's just an at, how do you say it? Anonymized, I don't know. Anonymous, if it's just an anonymous person there just writing an article or uh, very plainly speaking into a microphone without much of that personality coming through, then you kind of lose a bit. And it's not as just interesting to watch. Like if I think about the people that I follow and watch uh, YouTube videos from, uh, they tend to have very strong personalities. Uh, which makes it enjoyable. Uh, so I hope that comes across in our content more these days than it did in the past. And that's something that I think that we that the channel is definitely growing in as well too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I think is just you've got to question. You know, if you are data driven, you've got to question the data. And sometimes, you know, if your data's wrong, you've got to go back and look at it and retest and and get the right story. So being right. You know, you can't be right 100% of the time, but fundamentally you've got to, you know, be able to back up what you've come up with, with a, yeah. with a, narr- with a narrative, mm-hmm. right? And to, you know, to make sure that you've got the right story and to hone in on the right angle as well. And, um, yeah, I think the thing that I'm sort of most proud of, the, uh, it's, it's not really specific moments. It is simply the case that, you know, uh, platform comparisons were once the bread and butter of Digital Foundry, but, you know, Series X and PS5 are essentially interchangeable at this moment. You have Series S that adds a bit more spice. Sometimes there are some interesting last-chain comparisons to factor in, um, but that's not really the core basis of what the channel is about anymore. And our mission statement is to basically discuss the state of the art in gaming technology, past, present, and future, which is far more all-encompassing than, you know, talking about however game a runs on console b i think that's the bottom line uh but that's it that's the end of the show that was the final question if you enjoyed it please do like subscribe and share ring the bell for those notionally instant notifications and of course um yeah if you're on the df supporter program not only can you submit questions to be part of the show you also get the show a couple of days early we post it live for users i think every saturday so yes uh, plenty of reasons to get involved there uh, but that's all from us in this first direct of 2023 uh, thanks for watching and supporting digital foundry